Uh, welcome to Bethlehem once again. We're concluding a series called Come to Worship Today, and I want to explain that in just a minute. The way I'm going to do this is I'm going to give you a definition, and I'm going to tell you a story, and then we're going to get into the Bible. Does that sound good? All in favor, say aye. If you're opposed, you can leave now, because I just told you what's going to happen. This series has been all about coming to worship. Again, we base this off of um, what Matthew records in Matthew chapter 2. The wise men came to Jerusalem and they said, we have come to worship. And so we've, we've used that as our cue to look at some different ways that even today we can bring worship to God. And so far, our definition of worship has been very narrow. In week one, Ben talked about how we can lift our hands either literally or symbolically as a sign of celebration. When we come, we celebrate, we worship God when we come here to church. On week two, we talked about how we can bow down in surrender. Part of worship is bowing down and acknowledging that God is greater than we are. So both of those weeks have been a very narrow definition of worship as we talk about the way we worship as a church family. So we're taking this maybe a little um, bit backwards. In week three, for this last week, as we conclude, we're going to look at worship as a much broader definition. And as you look at worship in the broadest definition, the broadest way possible, basically what worship is, worship is expressing an external gratitude uh, based on something you have inside. Or a lot less clunky is what I came up with on the screen. Can we just put that up there? All right. Worship is the expression of an internal adoration. What you love in your heart will determine how you live your life and what you do. And I'll give you some examples. What you love determines how you talk. It determines how you walk. It determines what you wear. And it determines where you walk. The love you have in your life, whether it's a love for a person or you're trying to impress him or impress her, whatever you love will determine how you express that love in your life. So in the broadest possible way, worship is simply expressing an adoration that you have in your heart. Now, sometimes we try to hide that adoration. We're like, I don't want him to know that I like him or I don't want her to know I like her. You know, we try to hide our adoration sometimes, but inevitably, at least a little bit, the things that we adore will be expressed through our lives, right? So there's your definition. Good? Okay, we're going to build on that so you don't need to remember it, all of it right now. Now I'm going to tell you a story. So the story is about the best gift I have ever received. I say that a little sarcastically. It's one of the best gifts I had ever received. And it was actually a gift by happen chance. It was just a, a, a rare, weird thing that it happened. And basically what happened was it was at the end of um, one of my years at college. And I'll just tell you this. If you're going to college at a dorm, in a dorm, you're living in a dorm, at the end of each year, what do you always have to do? You've got to clean out your room, put it all in your car, and go home, right? You've got to clean out everything. You've got to clear out everything. So that's the best time, the best place to get a good deal on something. Um, and I know in my college years, I had to part with a mini fridge. I had to part with my bass guitar, which I don't play at... at People have asked, don't ask me to play bass guitar in church. But I had to part, part with my bass guitar. It was a five-string for those who are interested. Yeah. And I had to part with the amplifier that went along with it. I mean, I had to part with all sorts of stuff because I'm like, I can't take all of this in my 87 Toyota hatchback. It's not going to fit. So I gave some of it away. I gave some great deals to some other people, and I had to get rid of it. Now, one year, I was the recipient of that. 
There was this senior who couldn't put any of his stuff in storage on site. He had to get everything off campus, and there was something that he could not fit in his car, and he turned to me and he said, would you like this? I'm like, yeah, I'd like this. It was a poster, a big poster, a movie-sized poster inside a frame, so it was pretty nice. And I actually found it online. You can still buy these things. It's 10 bucks at e- on eBay. But I found a picture. I'm going to put it up here. This is what he gave me. <laughs> Universally recognizable, right? Um, shout it out. Who is this guy? Kramer from Seinfeld. This is Kramer from Seinfeld. So this was, as you look at the picture here, this has a border around it printed onto the poster, and then it was inside a frame on top of that. So I'm like, this is an awesome thing. This is like a college student's best friend. So immediately, I'm like, this is great. I put it up. I'm like, thank you, thank you, thank you. And it was the greatest gift I'd ever received. Now, two people tried to steal this from me. One of them was the, the brother of the guy who gave it to me. And, and so he's like, well, my brother gave it. It should stay in the family and all that. I'm like, I'm sorry. Your brother gave it to me. It's mine. So back off. And then another guy, I was actually rooming with him for the summer. We were sharing a house. And he tried to take this uh, picture with him when he was leaving for the summer. I'm like, dude, I had to like dig through his trunk to find it. I'm like, no, that's mine. So I took it back out and shook the dust off my feet and said, see you later. But anyway, so two people tried to steal this from me. That's how valuable and awesome this thing was. Now, I took this from college into the seminary. It was a proud display in my room at the seminary. And that's not saying much. It's a dorm room, you know, four guys sharing a, a little whatever you call it. Anyway, it was in my dorm room. Get this, though, if you're a guy. This thing survived my marriage. You know, guys, sometimes you bring things into, you get married, you bring things into the house, and she's like, oh, no, you didn't. <laughs> this thing survived our marriage. I got married my last year at the seminary. We had this hanging up in our house. Um, and so we, we uh, had it there for a year. Then I got a call. My, my first place I was a pastor was in Colorado. This survived the move to Colorado. And get this, guys, it didn't, this wasn't just in the basement, it wasn't in the man cave, we put this thing in the living room. <laughs> and I'm going to tell you how I did that when we get to our next marriage series, because that, if you can do that, you got the best marriage in the world. But this was hanging up in our living room, and that was 2006 when, and this is all going somewhere, just hold on, that was in 2006 when we moved to Colorado. Now, if, if you know this guy, you know, okay, Kramer from Seinfeld, what's his real name? Cosmo Kramer is his name in Seinfeld. What's his real name in real life? Michael Richards. Good job. You get 50 points, which doesn't mean anything. <laughs> Michael Richards is his real name. If, if you remember, Michael Richards kind of made headlines in 2006, late 2006. He was doing a stand-up routine at a comedy club in Los Angeles, and he was going through his bit, whatever he was doing, I'm not sure, and apparently in the crowd there were some African-American people who started heckling him because they didn't think he was funny. So in response, do you remember this? In response, he had a racist tirade out in public, right for everyone to hear. He used words and language that I would never, ever want to use. And it is a racist tirade. And it would have flown under the radar probably, except that somebody was taping the performance. So the, the tape got out, the audio got out, and people all, all of a sudden overnight labeled him as a racist and everything he tried to do was just not working. In fact, several years later, I listened to a, an informal interview he had with Jerry Seinfeld. They were sitting in a car, and Jerry's like, well, uh, Michael, how, how, how are things going with that? And, he, and, 
And Michael Richards, he said, my, my life changed at that moment. Couldn't get any more uh, speaking jobs, couldn't do anything. His life changed. But anyway, in the moment, in 2006, after he had done this, a couple weeks go by, and, and still in the media, I'm like, I'm looking at this picture in my living room. And I'm like, Mikey, 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 I'm going to have to take you down. You see, I didn't want somebody walking into my house and assuming that that was an expression of adoration. I didn't want to be confused with one who had branded, branded himself in a negative light. So I said, Mikey, I got to take you down. He survived college. He survived, he survived getting, me getting married, but we had to take him down. That, that's an old example. And Ben and I talked on Friday real briefly. I'm like, Ben, can you share some other ideas? There's just people who had public trust, respect, but then they lost it all of a sudden. We came up with six football, just off the top of our heads, six football players, two professional golfers, about 50 politicians, people that had once had great honor and great respect, and because of something they did, they lost it. I just want to share one more quick one with you because this one really strikes home just as far as the impact it can have when one of our heroes lets us down. Joe Paterno. Um, football coach, Penn State, up until 2012. Um, any football fans, how long was he a coach there? I'm not a football fan, so I don't know. 30-plus years, I know. Close to 40, maybe? Anyway, um, he, had been a fo- he had been a beloved icon of Penn State, not just football, but of their entire organization, kind of a role model. So much so that while he was still a coach there, they put up this, this statue of him. A seven-foot, 900-pound statue of Joe Paterno, their beloved football coach. And they asked him for a quote. And, he, and off to the side, you can't really see it here. But he basically said, I hope people don't just remember me for, as a football coach. I hope they remember me for the impact I had on people's lives. Now, you remember what happened in 2012. There was this big thing breaking out. I don't want to say he's guilty or not because I don't know. But they said that there were some allegations that he was kind of hiding some sexual abuse cases with some of his football players because he wanted them to keep playing. And so he, he pushed off to the side some of these allegations. He didn't bring them to light like he should have. And for that, he, became, he turned from an object of honor and adoration into an object of question, doubt, and ridicule. So you know what they did with this? Next picture. Gone took down the statue, took down the, the thing that honored him because here's what they said. They said, we don't want to express adoration for somebody who lost it. What is hanging in your living room? What statue have you put up? You see, a part of life is we continually have to evaluate whom we adore and how we express our adoration for them. In fact, this is going to be fill-in number two. Worship, in the broad says, isn't just something we do one day a week. Worship is an exercise of life. We have to continue to evaluate who do we adore, who do we trust, who do we honor, and how do we express that externally. That's always an exercise we have to go through, which is a good thing, a healthy thing. We should always look at the things we say, the way we walk, uh, where we go, and what we wear. We should look at all those things and say, what am I expressing here? We need to do that exercise. The danger, the danger is when we do this exercise with our relationship with God. 
The danger is when we look at God and we ask the question, well, are you worthy of me adoring you today? Should I be expressing adoration for you? Is that the kind of person I want to be known as? The danger is when we treat God like any other human being, like he is of human origin, and test him and and treat him as such. At the same time, this presents, you know, a tricky tension here because I could just tell you right now, God's worthy of your adornment or adoration, so go worship him with your life, amen. I could send you off and you'd say, nice sermon, pastor, I guess. Um, But here's the thing. Every person always wrestles with this. We always ask the question, God, why are you doing this? We always ask the question, is he worthy of expressing my adornment for, my adoration for? And, and when we're left in those moments of doubt, what I hope I can do today is show you from the scriptures why he's worthy of your ad- adoration and why it's okay that we can express that adoration even if it means things get tough. To do that, we're going to look at, at a section of the Bible. It's one of my favorites. It, it, the only bad thing is it's such a long section. We don't have time to go through the entire thing. We're going to look at Acts chapter 5, specifically verses 12 through 42. I try to put it in the worship folder, and it's, I had to get it down to like two-point font, which uh, some people complain about the ten-point font. Two-point would be unrealistic. So I, I didn't put it in there. I'm not going to go through it all. I can't put it all up on this screen and make some words yellow because they're important. I wish I could. Um, But I encourage you, go home sometime this week, read Acts chapter 5. It's an amazing, amazing account of how God can work through the lives of those who worship him. So I'll give you the Cliff Notes version. I'm going to go really fast, but there's a Seinfeld reference in here, so you need to pay attention so you can catch it. Because sometimes I just throw crazy stuff in there to see if you're listening. And Like 9 o'clock or 9.30, some people started laughing, and other people were like, what? I guess we should listen. So pay attention. I just want to let you know um, up front. So Acts chapter 5, what happened was that this was an amazing, amazing time in the history of the early Christian church, because this was right at the birth of it. The apostles had gone out, it was Pentecost, they gathered thousands of people who said, yes, we adore Jesus, we will worship him with our lives, and this was an amazing time of growth for the early Christian church. So the apostles, after Pentecost, after thousands of people come in, they go out and they keep preaching, preaching, preaching. They're going all over the place to the public places in Jerusalem, and they're preaching to people about how Jesus had risen from the the dead. Now, with thousands of people being attracted to them, the Jewish leaders were awfully jealous about what was happening. The Jewish leaders who formed the Sanhedrin, which we'll see in just a moment, they were the authority, not just religiously, but for the community of all the Jewish people. And so as the people started flowing towards the apostles, they started getting jealous. And they said, this isn't right. This is against the law. We need to stop this. So they actually arrested the apostles. Maybe this is a part of their story you've never heard before. They actually arrested the apostles, threw them in public prison, and said, we are going to find a way to deal with you. Now here's the thing. After the apostles had gone into prison, an angel came and broke them out. I know you think it's crazy, but it's in there. Read it. Acts chapter 5. An angel comes in, he breaks them out of jail, and here's how I would have written the story. 
I would have said, the angel broke them out and said to them, lay low for a while. But that's not what God had the angel say. The angel said, I'm going to break you out so that you can go back tomorrow morning, bright and early, and start preaching the same message that got you here. Go tell people about Jesus because this is absolutely important. So, the, so it's kind of a secret breakout. The apostles get out of prison. They start preaching again in the morning, and they're all over the place, whatever. Now, here's this is like a sitcom, okay? So you got the apostles. They're out preaching. Now, the Sanhedrin, they don't know what happened yet. They're, still, they're in their little um, chamber talking about what to do with the apostles, who they think are still in prison. You following? So they're sitting there. Well, well, go send for the apostles. Bring them in here so that we can have a trial and dispose of them appropriately. So they go to get them from the jail, but what do they find? There's nobody there. So the guy comes back and he says, well, there's nobody here. What do you mean there's nobody there? There's nobody here. How can they not be there? Didn't we put them there? Yeah, they're there. And you can picture this is like a Jerry Seinfeld thing, right? Well, didn't they, weren't they there yesterday? Well, yeah. Well, how did they not be there today? I don't know. It's like the sock in the dryer. We put it there. Where did it go? I don't know. And they draw this life, you can draw this big life lesson just on how are they not there? I don't know. So they're not there. So they're like, well, what does this mean? Meanwhile, somebody comes in and says, hey, they're out preaching again. And they're like, how did that happen? I don't know. But sometimes you find the sock in the most unlikely places. So they find the people. They bring the apostles back in again. This time they're careful. They don't want to upset the people who like the apostles. They bring the apostles in. They say, look, guys, you have to knock this off. We don't know how you did that thing with the jail or whatever it was. No soup for you. We don't know how you did that. You, you, you kind of did this thing. We need you to stop this right away. We're the authority, and we say you stop preaching about Jesus Christ. Knock it off. And this is one of my favorite lines in the book of Acts. This is how they respond. Peter and the other apostles replied, no. We must obey God rather than men. And here's a quick, quick connection point. Whom did the apostles adore? You see, if they adored public view, if they adored just the local authorities, if, if that was the high point of what they adored, they would have said, yes, sir. We'll be quiet, sir. Please don't arrest us, sir. Please don't kill us. But they had an adoration in their heart that superseded any other. They said, we must worship. We must obey God rather than men. And they didn't stop at this. They said, hey, we must obey God. By the way, you guys, you're against God. You killed God's son. You crucified him. He came back to life, and we're working for him. And when they went on like this, this is how it goes on, verse 33. When the Sanhedrin, when the Jewish leaders heard this, they were furious, rightly so. They wanted to put them to death. They said, this is enough. You've, you've challenged our authority We'll put you to death for that. And, and things, you can see there's this tension in the room. People are shouting. They want to put him to death. And maybe the, even the apostles are like, what did we do? But then there's this moment that changes everything. And it happens in verse 34. A Pharisee, one of the guys in there, named Gamaliel. And I know what you're thinking. This isn't the Smurf villain. That's a different guy. This is Gamaliel. This was a teacher of the law, Gargamel, right? I guess you had to grow up in the 80s to get that. So Gamaliel stood up. He's a teacher of the law. He was honored by all the people. I'm going to pause there. Gamaliel, he was so well honored that actually he trained a guy named Saul who became the Apostle Paul. Paul learned from this guy. 
He learned from the best of the best. So this guy had this insight, he had this wisdom, and people respected him and honored him. So he stood up while all this commotion was going on. People wanted to kill the apostles, and he ordered that the men be put outside for a little while. He basically said, look, guys, get these apostles out of here. We need to talk. And here's how it goes on, verse 35. He said, then he addressed just these Jewish leaders. He said, men of Israel, Hold on a minute. Consider carefully what you intend to do with these men. Because what they were about to do was going to change things forever. And and Gamaliel, he saw things that maybe nobody else saw. And he said, we need to pause and look at what we're about to do. And he had some amazing insight here that he's going to share with the rest. He says two, two, two things, two examples. He said, some time ago, a guy named Theodos appeared, claiming to be somebody. What apparently Theodos had done was he, had, he claimed to be a higher authority than the Sanhedrin. He gathered some people together, and he said, we don't need to listen to these guys anymore. They don't, they're, they're not the judge. We can do our own thing. So we got about 400 men that rallied to him. They're like, yeah, this is a good cause. Well, Theodos was killed, and all of his followers were dispersed, and it all came to nothing. We were so worried about this guy and his 400 men, but once the leader died, the group disappeared. It was nothing. He gives another example. Verse 37. So after Theodos, a guy named Judas the Galilean appeared. This is a different Judas than Judas the disciple. He appeared in the days of the census, and he led a band of people in revolt. Same situation, people revolting against the authority of this Jewish council, the Sanhedrin. So he too, Judas too, was killed, and all his followers were scattered. It was nothing. Once you kill the leader, the followers always go away. And here's why. Verse 38. In the present case, I advise you, Um, he says, leave these men alone, let them go, for if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. Why? Because we killed their leader. Jesus was crucified. He died. We know that. And if this is just another one of those human stories where it's a human-led thing, it will be nothing. It's nothing to worry about. And that, that is such a deep insight that has tons of application for your life. What's your picture in your living room all about? What's the statue? Who are you adoring? What are you expressing in the way you walk, the way you talk, what you wear, and where you walk? If it is of human origin, It is designed to fall because anything that depends on a human being will ultimately fail. Why is it that we rarely, if ever, put up statues of people before they die? Why is it that it takes so long to retire a jersey after the player retires from the game? Why is there this big spread of time before we're willing to say we're ready to honor this person? Because if something is of human origin, it has every possibility to fail. And that's what Gamaliel noted when these apostles came up. He said, their leader is dead. And if this is just a human origin thing, 
it will fail too. Now, as you look at your faith, your walk with God, your, your relationship with him, is this just a human origin thing? Is this just built on you? Um, fill in number three helps us take this a little positive spin. What you adore determines the value of its expression. What you adore determines the value of its expression. Do you have a number four football jersey? That's purple? <laughs> you know, it's so easy to, to relate this to sports. You know, Brett Favre, Green Bay Packer, goes over to the Vikings. Do you have a number four Brett Favre jersey that's purple? Not many do. Not many do. Why? Because there's this honor thing, right? There's not much adoration for that. What you value, what you adore, determines the value of its expression. Now, as you look at the things in your life, what I'm not saying is that you can't adore people. God says, love one another, love one another, love one another. I'll give you a quick example from marriage. God says, you need to love one another, but don't love one another more than you love him. Because here's what happens. When you raise in status a person to the level of God in a marriage, you say, I need him, I need her more than I need God. You're lifting them to a place that they cannot fulfill what you need. They will let you down. And that marriage is destined to fail either big time or in small ways. When a person is raised to that level of adoration, it will fail. So what is it? that's in your living room, what is it that you made a statue of? If it's of human origin, it will fail. Now, I want to show you in, in the re- last part of this uh, section here what it means to then place God as the number one that you adore. What these apostles are about to do was completely unprecedented, and it shocks people who read it to this day. So as the story goes on in Acts chapter 5, This is Gamaliel again. He's talking to the Jewish Sanhedrin. We read this first part. He said, If their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. He understood. Even if you kill all these apostles we have here, it won't stop their purpose or their plan. You'll only find yourself fighting against God. Now, this is something really cool to apply to our lives. What happens when we adore God? What happens when we want to express that in the way we walk, the way we talk, what we wear, and where we walk? The the thing is, nothing can stop you from adoring him. Nothing can stop you from expressing that in your life. I'm not saying it's going to make you rich and wealthy. I'm just saying the attitude that you bring into your life cannot be stopped by anything and nobody. So now the, the, the result of this, he gets done with his speech here, Gamaliel does, and his speech persuaded the people in this council. So they called the apostles back in. Thankfully, they didn't break out this time. You know, had that happen once. So they called the apostles back in, and they had them flogged. And that's just a short sentence, but this would have been so painful for these apostles to endure. Then they ordered them not to worship. Don't express any more adoration for this Christ that you speak of. Do not speak in the name of Jesus. And then they let them go. So what do you think they did? The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Wow. Are you in a place where you can say that too? 
Have you been in a place where, you know, expressing your adoration for God and the way you talk, the way you walk, what you wear, the where you walk, what that would have a consequence that people would look at you negatively or people might even persecute you. Have you been in a place where you could go home rejoicing? You know, there's something there. Rejoicing because you could not be stopped. And then this is the way that it concludes, verse 42. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped. They never stopped giving this expression of adoration for their God. These men, these apostles, never stopped teaching people who Jesus was. They never stopped proclaiming the good news that Jesus was the Christ. No matter what happened, these men could not be stopped from, from worshiping and, and, and expressing their adoration for God. And you got to be thinking, wow, that's pretty awesome that they could do that back then. Here's what I know about some of you listening. You're kind of checking out at this point because you're thinking, well, this kind of worship with their life, this kind of expressing of adoration, this is for maybe the other people in the room because I'm not sure I can do this. And, and, and here's where I want to land with you. Anybody in this room listening to this message can do this. And I want to tell you why. Because this is not a human origin thing. This is not you and me or the apostles digging deep inside of us to say, I need to find some way to just get my worship on in life and to show how people, how, ex- how I can express my joy, my adoration of God. This is not a human origin thing. The origin is from God. The origin is from a man named Jesus who was put to death but raised back to life. The one that you follow is not some Theodos. It's not some Judas the Galilean. The one you follow has gone through death and has come back to life, and you will follow him through the same. And here's where it all comes back to. What about this? What about this? What if at the end of your life, when you're gone, okay, you're gone, people are telling stories about you. They're remembering the good times that you were a part of. They remember the struggles you went through, the bad times you went through. But their observation was this. No matter what, through all the ups and downs, this person just never stopped. They never stopped being hopeful. They never stopped being joyful. They never stopped worshiping, expressing the adoration they had for God in everything. What if people would look back at you one day and see that from your life? And I'm here to tell you it's not too late because this isn't a human origin thing. This kind of worship comes from God. And that's brought out in our last uh, fill-in for today if you're taking notes. Number four, by giving his son, God's adoration for you never stopped. This is where it started for the apostles. This is where it starts for you. To worship God in your life doesn't mean you're perfect. It means you are a witness of God's forgiveness. And by God sending his son, he demonstrated a love that never stops. Because here's what else God could have done. God could have said, you know what? Yeah, you guys messed up. Oh, what a sinful world. I'm going to adore you by... I know, I'm going to build you a statue. I'm going to make a statue of you. That's how much I adore you. And God could have made this beautiful 10-foot statue of you made from pure gold and set it up. And in the moment you messed up, he could have said, well, 
Guess we'll get rid of that. God could have had this picture of you up in heaven in his living room. I don't know if he has a living room in heaven, but I picture he does. Maybe he has this picture of you on, on your wall because he loves you so much. He adores you so much. And then you went your own way. And he said, well, guess I'll have to take that one down. God could have named a star after you. Could have put one up on the sky just for you and said, this one's for you. And then the moment you disobeyed him, he could have said, well, guess we'll destroy that one. You see, God could have adored you in any number of ways, but he chose a way to adore you that would never stop because in his son, he built something that not even the gates of hell can take down. He put you into a kingdom. He built you into a house. He made you a part of his family through Jesus. And that is something that will never, ever be taken down. God adored you so much that he sent his son to do that. So as you consider God's, the way God adores us, I'm going to be careful how I phrase this next part. But in the wide sense of the term, you know, worship, worship is to express an adoration for someone or something. You know what? God expressed a love for you. He expressed an adoration for you. And so in a sense, don't misquote me on this, but in a sense... Jesus was born. Jesus came to worship you. In the sense that he adored you, he loved you, and he needed to express that through his life and his death and his resurrection. And so I'm going to leave this wide open at the end. I'm not going to give you, okay, here's three things you need to do because here's all you need to do, especially this week. Number one, consider the way that we come to adore him. Christmas can be so many different things for so many different people. Come adore him. And let it not be one day, one thing, one part of the week. Let it be your life. Let it be displayed in the way you talk, the way you walk, what you wear and where you walk. Let his joy be evident because he came to adore you first.